Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. All right, there's a book in the Old Testament that was written anonymously, and it's a book of sorrow and grief. It's a very emotional book as you read through it. Uh, most biblical scholars would say that this book was written by the prophet named Jeremiah. It's this book, Lamentations. And it's thought that it was written by the prophet Jeremiah because Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Um, when you read Jeremiah, uh, this is a, a great kind of companion to his, his writing. And the purpose of Lamentations is it's almost this emotional postscript uh, to the book of Jeremiah. And so to read through it, you kind of, it's almost like this prayer journal that was, that was, uh, read alongside uh, what's happening in, the, in Jeremiah's writings. Um, another purpose is it expresses grief over the sense of loss. Uh, Lamentations was written in the time uh, when uh, the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed by the Babylonians. And so those who uh, are experiencing this loss, they, they've, they've been conquered by kind of this outside force. They've lost their family. They've had friends uh, and family uh, killed around them, they've lost their home. And it's, it's kind of like these gut-wrenching human emotions of experiencing some of the worst tragedy in life. Uh, so it's written as almost this uh, expression of how to deal with loss. The Songs of Lament, uh, it, it's a genre that's in scripture. It's, it's, it's poetic in its nature. And it fits in what we find in that there's actually a lot of these psalms of lament throughout the Old Testament as God's people are trying to relate to God and what's happening in the world around them. The final purpose is what we find is that it offers this reproof and then instruction and then hope for the survivors. And I think as we turn to Lamentations and we look at this book, uh, what we find is that it is very poetic in its form and it's communicating something, as T.S. Eliot would say, Poetry as a way of communicating before it's understood. And there's some things in life that we experience, there's some things that we go through that they're just so hard to understand that some of the best songs and poems are written for them. We think about like songs that are popular in our culture are always about like heartbreak, right? Writing about pain, things that are going on internally. And in the same way this book of Lamentations deals with some of these experiences that aren't necessarily understood. We can't exactly wrap our mind around what's going on, but they're conveyed as prayers to God. Each chapter of this book of Lamentations is composed of a poem, and there's five poems in all. And if we understood how to uh, read the Greek or the Hebrew alphabet, what we'd find is that it's an acrostic poem. So we come to it and it just looks like this poem, but there's something more going on structurally in Lamentations. And here's how it opens. Lamentations 1, 1 through 3 says, How lonely lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. 
She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is none to comfort her, for they have become her enemies. Pretty powerful, right? This opening of Lamentations. There's a game that I think you can play on the internet right now um, that compares the writings of Lamentations to Taylor Swift songs. You have to guess which one's what. Very, like, emotional, right? But as we read through Lamentations, even in these first three verses, what we see is grief and anger and frustration. And this is the word of God. These are words divinely inspired. And they're dealing with these heavy, gut-wrenching emotions. For the next five weeks, we want to talk about how we process our emotions in a godly way. Why does God give us these emotions? What do they do to us? And then what do we do with them? And what we find through lamentations and these psalms of lament found throughout the Old Testament is God has given us this, it's almost like this prayer book to deal with some of the hardest things that life throws at us. And when it comes to our emotions, when it comes to the things uh, that are heavy on our heart, I think culturally there's a couple myths that are thrown at us when we consider our emotions, when we go through experiences that stir something deep inside of us. When it comes to our emotions, I think there's two myths culture tells us. The first is that uh, emotions are nothing. We shouldn't feel emotions. We should minimize them or suppress them to allow them to come out as a sign of weakness. On Saturday Night Live, there is a, a, a woman that impersonates uh, the uh, Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel. Merkel? I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. I'm not German. Uh, but they, they were in this argument the other night, and uh, actually it was, it was a while ago, but I just watched the clip the other night. There was this argument about something that's happening in Europe, and at some point, this person impersonating Angela Merkel just starts making this terrible noise. It's like this noise. And the news person's like, what was that? And she's like, here in Germany, we don't let her anger out. We scream it into our chest. Don't let emotions come out, right? And so like, there's like this idea that if we do show emotions, like it's a sign of like, we've lost self-control, we've shown weakness, and so we just need to, like, to minimize them and to suppress them. My brother-in-law, Steve Cowden, don't think he's here, so I'm going to tell a story about him. Uh, he tells a story, actually his wife Carrie tells a story of them going and seeing The Notebook in a theater. And if you've ever seen The Notebook, uh, it is, uh, I, don't, I don't like it. <laughs> it's this tearjerker movie, right? I mean, it's this Nicholas Sparks book. It's always like, there's no way, like, men can never, like, yeah. So like this, you know, if, you've, if you know anything about this story, there's like this love story, and it's like, it's Ryan Gosling, right? I mean, come on. Like, never gives up on this woman that he loves. And it's this very sad story where she eventually gets Alzheimer's, and he not only, like, stays loyal and faithful to her throughout his entire life, no matter what she does, he's pursued her, gets to this place late in life where she starts to deteriorate. And it's this, like, absolutely, I mean, heartbreaking, like, story. And, and it's also, like, it's such an amazing love story. At the end, if you've seen that, you know there's a scene on the deathbed where it's, like, the climax of the emotions of this whole movie have been built up. 
Apparently my brother-in-law, when he was watching this in the theater, got to this moment, this climax moment, and he just started busting out laughing in the theater. Like uncontrollably laughing. Like everyone around him was like sobbing and like, you know, like looking at him. And, and Gary's like, what, what the world, man? Like why would you laugh at this point? You have like no heart. And Steve, we were asking him about it, and he's like, listen, He's like, there was like this cry welling up inside of me, like as we were getting to this moment. And he's like, I was going to cry. And he's like, something had to come out of me and it wasn't going to be crying. So I just started laughing. I just started busting out laughing. And it's like, it, it's, yeah, this emotion is like, come, it just had to get out. Like we, we have this idea like in our culture that like we, we can't express emotions, especially like if we're men, like, right? I mean, it's just like, it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of like loss of control. Some of you know me. I, I tend to cry a lot when I'm preaching. I haven't as much since we've had our last baby. My wife's not pregnant anymore. I think like when you're pregnant, you have more emotions, and that works for the husband too. Um, but there's this. We have this myth that like our emotions, we just need to like suppress them, not show them. They can't come out. What happens is that creates some things that can be unhealthy for us. The second myth, I think, is that emotions are everything. Emotions are everything, so we should exaggerate them. We should ruminate and sue in them. We should allow them to guide everything in our life. And we see this, we see this too all the time. I think there's like these opposite extremes. Like we, in our, in our culture, like it's, every, it's all about how you feel. And so what happens is like when we get into decision-making mode, we act upon our emotions instead of our values. Because if it feels right, then it must be right. And if it feels wrong, then, then you should just bail on it. And we see how this affects relationships, this affects marriages, this affects our work and vocation. We're driven by our emotions because they're everything. They direct our life. I went to college in the early 2000s, which meant, um, you know, kind of the... The, the bands that were really popular then, you know, John Mayer had just come onto the scene, Dashboard Confessional, right? This music called Emo, and it's like, uh, you know, it was heartbreak warfare all the time, right? Like, I think sometimes we, we allow emotions uh, to rule our lives. And when it comes to this idea of emotions are nothing and we suppress them and minimize them or emotions are everything and they're the thing that is driving every decision that we make, we start to spin into some d destructive cycles in our life. Right? There's coping mechanisms for both, whether it's numbing to get rid of them or indulging. And what we find is that these emotions that come from experiences that we have in life can actually lead to destructive decisions. So what do we do with our emotions? What's fascinating about Lamentations and the Songs of Lament is that there are these prayers that have been prayed and sung by God's people for thousands of years. And they're almost like this expression of these gut-wrenching emotions of anger of grief, of shame, of empathy, of compassion, all of this filtered into this prayer, this connection with God. Lamentations, we find that emotions are God-given. 
emotions are okay. God has actually placed those inside of us. And when you think about like who wrote the Psalms of Lament and who wrote Lamentations, this is a human responding to the world around them, but they're inspired by God to feel alive, to feel human. Emotions tells us that, or Lamentations tells us that these emotions are given by God. Lamentations also tell us that emotions are natural and healthy. They're natural and they're healthy. For the Jewish people, when they suffer loss, when someone in the family dies, they go through a period of mourning, and it's very like spelled out how you're supposed to mourn. And the people in the community would come alongside a person who's mourning and grieving and sit with them. And they wouldn't tell them why the person died or what the reason was for it happening. They would just be with that person during the time of grief because they knew that grief uh, handled correctly is very healthy. It's like in uh, the sitcom The Office, Michael Scott says, there's some things, uh, sometimes it's good grief, right? Grief can be good. <laughs> this is a really heavy topic. I'm going to try to keep it lighthearted. Uh, I remember, uh, yeah, I, there, there's, uh, some of you have, are familiar with kind of what's been written about emotional intelligence lately, talking about how we all have emotions. There's a book called Primal Leadership, that deals with emotional intelligence. There's also a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0, talking about how emotions are, are so important because they're these natural things that we have as humans. The author of Emotional Intelligence 2.0, Travis Radbury, says this, emotions serve an important purpose. They cue you into things you'll never understand if you don't take the time to ask yourself why. Why? Emotions can serve... Uh, Maybe similar to even like our physical experiences of pain. I remember as a child, I was probably four years old, uh, the first time I touched a stove, a hot burning stove, um, the, the pain of that, I remember it was, it was so bad, my hand had blistered up, um, I was screaming, um, parents were freaking out. I remember going to bed that night with ice, an ice pack on my hand. It was like the early 80s, I don't think they knew how to treat burns back then, I don't know. Um, <laughs> But I remember going to sleep that night, and it was like the pain that I had felt from touching that hot stove. All night long, I could feel it on my skin. It was just unbelievably painful. My hand was blistering up. But like from that experience, like I learned like, you know, stoves can be dangerous, right? Stoves aren't evil. There's nothing evil about a stove. But in handled incorrectly, uh, you can really hurt yourself. And I remember after that time, always being extremely careful in the kitchen, especially around stoves. Like the pain of feeling that put everything into perspective. I think our emotions have a tendency to do that too. And I don't want to downplay, there's so many worse things that people go through than just like touching their hand on the stove. But we have these emotions because they're God-given and they're natural and they're things that we need to be in touch with because they tell us something is up with the world around us. They cause us to reflect. They cause us to ask why. Lamentations also, what we'll see is that it tells us that every emotion is an invitation for connection with God. Whether it's anger, whether it's grief and sadness, whether it's shame. Every single emotion that we go through is, a, is, a, is an opportunity for us to connect and to commune with our Creator. Christopher Wright 
He's a, a biblical scholar, wrote this about these lamentations, and I think it's a great. He says, lament is not only allowed in the Bible, it is modeled in abundance. God seems to want to give us many words with which to fill our complaint forms. God seems to want to give us as many words with which to fill our complaint forms as to write our thank you notes. And what we find is you, you read through the Old Testament scripture, you read through these songs of lament, you read through lamentations. God gives us this opportunity to come to him with our complaints. The things that are stirring these gut-wrenching motions inside of us, God says, bring them to me in prayer. I can handle them. What we find is that if we look at these songs of lament, there's this process, there's this progression. All these songs of lament start with this invocation. They're very brief. But then there's this description of the situation of lament. There's a complaint or a venting. And I think this is important because sometimes, like as, as Christians, it's like we, we know that God is sovereign. Um, but I think sometimes we have this like Pollyanna complex where we just have to think everything's good all the time. And what we find in the Old Testament are these people that are very in touch with the brokenness of the world around them, and they come to God with that brokenness, very open and honest. And they vent. And it's healthy. And God can handle our vent. God can handle our complaining. What we find is that these psalms start with this initial vent, this initial complaint, this initial getting it out. But they don't stay there. After the vent, there's this also confession. The progression of these poems, there's this confession of trust. There's this reminder of how God has been faithful throughout history, throughout their life. In the midst of their vent, in the midst of their complaint, it's almost like they, they come back around. And they say, but we've seen your goodness. There's a confession that God has been good. After that confession, there's this petition for God to act again. We're reminded, God, that you've been good. We've seen you take care of us. We've seen you take care of our people. And then the lament turns into this petition that God would move and act again in the world as we've seen him act in the past. And then the laments will end with a promise or a vow to offer praise to God and assurance. And what we find is that in these prayers and these lamentations, there's this healthy process of getting out our emotions, taking them to God, allowing God to absorb them. I heard one person talking about as we come to God with our emotions, it's almost like a wave in the ocean that comes and it crashes on us. And when we take them before God, we float above the wave and we, we hit the peak of the wave, but then we float over the wave and the wave passes us and dissipates onto the shore. That's what lamentations allow for us to do. So we turn to this book and we learn how people have dealt with emotions. There's also an invitation for us to deal with our emotions in the same way. A healthy lament. When it comes to our emotions, when it comes to us dealing with them in healthy ways, I think it's important to name them. Go to the next slide. The same process for us. We name the emotion. We identify what's causing it. We regain self-control. and We find healing. 
There's this process of us coming to God in our prayers. Through that, we honor God with our emotions. Honor him. Also, I think it's interesting that the Psalms of Lament aren't explanations of why things happen. And I think that's a, a big thing that is on a lot of our hearts, especially if we have questions of faith, is like, why do so many bad things happen to good people? But what we find in Lamentations isn't the question of why things happen, but the question of these things are happening, now what? What do we do next? What we find uh, is that when we take these confusing emotions to God, when we process them through this lamenting uh, prayer, we find hope. We find hope. For the next five weeks, we're going to look at a couple of these emotions. And we just ended a season where we read through the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to spend five weeks looking at this book in the Old Testament. And there's five chapters in it. So if you were able to kind of follow the reading schedule in Luke, uh, here's the reading schedule. Read one chapter of Lamentations a week for the next five weeks. We're going to look at anger. Um, we're going to look at sadness and grief. We're going to look at empathy and then shame. And our hope is that all of us would have, uh, allow God to form us into emotionally healthy people. It's a term called emotional holiness. What's going on inside of us that still honors God. Believe that when pain is not transformed, it's transmitted. And when we come to God with our emotions and lament, we allow him to transform darkness inside of us, confusion inside of us, all the things that we're feeling. It allows us to process tragedy in life. As we get ready to enter into this season of lamenting, I'd ask that you'd reflect on your own experiences right now. All of us have emotions. The manliest of men, whoever you are, have emotions that you're experiencing. How do you need to take those emotions to God? Last week we celebrated resurrection. Celebrated the story that we're a part of, where Christ comes. He reveals to us what God is like. He goes to the cross. And on the cross, he absorbs our brokenness, the consequences of our sin, the consequences of all the decisions that we make that are outside of what God wants. And then after the cross, after he dies, he conquers death and sin, rises from the dead. Last week was a time of celebration, and it's interesting to return to the cross today to close our sermon. But I want to return to the cross, because I think something happens there when it comes to lamenting. Probably the most famous lament in all scripture comes from Christ as he's on the cross. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we find is that the son of God, he who is without sin on the cross is lamenting. 
What's also interesting about this lament is that it's just not this isolated phrase that Jesus says. It's a psalm of lament. It's actually Psalm 22 that he's quoting. In a very rabbinic way, Jesus quotes the first verse of this psalm. Those who were around Jesus would have known how this psalm ends. The process and the progression of a lament. And when we hear it isolated, when we consider the anguish that Jesus is going to, there's a hint of the future for Christ. This psalm ends a certain way. And today, before we end our time in our communion, I wanted to read this Psalm 22. And we think about what Christ goes on the cross what he goes through on the cross, and we think about our own suffering and anguish. Here are the words of Psalm 22. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. And all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. And I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is, has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. For from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of all the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust 
will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Jesus quotes this from the cross. We consider the story that we're a part of, of death, of suffering, of brokenness, of all the emotions that we go through because of our experiences on this life, in this life. We're reminded that there's hope. As we take our emotions to God, as we take them to the cross even, we allow Christ to absorb them and offer us new life on the other side. As we close today, Tim's going to come up and we're going to spend some time reflecting. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever emotions are heavy on your heart, we invite you to lament them today. Maybe you actually need to write them out. Maybe you need to follow this process of a lamentation to go through this structure. But as we head to the table today, let's be reminded that in the midst of our suffering, God takes all of our negative emotions, all of our painful experiences, he absorbs them and he makes them new. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for such an honest book like Lamentations. Lord, as we dive into it over the next five weeks, we want to experience you. Some of us carry very heavy emotions and experiences into this room today, Lord. Some of us are anxious, agitated, angry. Some of us have a lot of strife relationally. Lord, some of us are mourning, grieving, sad. Lord, we want to acknowledge that none of these emotions are bad. Lord, they're reminders that the world isn't as it should be, but they're also reminders that we're alive. Lord, we don't want to minimize going through such experiences. We also don't want to be controlled by the emotions that are produced. So we come to you today, Lord. We come to your table. We're reminded of what you did on the cross. But we ask that you would meet us here today. As we break open this bread, as we take this juice, we reflect on your words, Psalm 22. We're reminded of the victory that comes in your resurrection. Lord, ask a special blessing on us today. In your sons and we pray. Amen.